Welcome to another American Bankruptcy Institute podcast. I'm Sam Giordano, ABI Executive Director. There is little doubt that the financial crisis of 2008 has had a global effect on businesses, individuals, and even entire nations. One of the many lessons of the crisis is the recognition of the problem of consumer insolvency as a systemic risk. There's an emerging understanding of the need to modernize domestic laws and institutions across the globe to deal effectively with individual indebtedness. In 2011, the World Bank established a working group on the treatment of insolvency of natural persons to study and report on the various ways different nations address personal indebtedness. Last month in Washington, the working group presented its comprehensive report of ideas and solutions to problems faced in modern legal regimes dealing with consumer debt. The chair of the drafting committee was Professor Jason Kilborn. Jason teaches at John Marshall Law School in Chicago where his scholarship has focused on a comparison of bankruptcy and insolvency in the U.S. with similar systems in Europe and elsewhere in the world, making him ideal for the World Bank project. He also served for a semester as ABI's Robert M. Zinman Resident Scholar, and we are delighted he can join us today. Welcome back to ABI Podcast, Jason. So very nice to be here again. Thanks for having me. Well, first, um, can you broadly uh, describe the nature of the working group and its uh, resulting report? Well, I think the right place to begin is where you began in your introduction uh, by noting that the World Bank, uh, given its uh, major emphasis on reducing or eliminating, well, reducing poverty, uh, has always regarded uh, insolvency relief systems as an important uh, you know, tool in that uh, chest. And so they, for the longest time at the bank, have... Uh, advise developing nations, particularly on the development of their business insolvency systems. Uh, and they've gone into a variety of countries and they have these uh, uh, sort of you know, guidelines that they apply and they write these voluminous reports for these countries saying this is what you ought to do to shore up your business insolvency response system, both as a matter of law and as a matter of practice. And about the end of 2010, beginning of 2011, apparently the inner you know, circle at the bank decided that, you know, we keep encountering these problems involving not big business reorganization or even medium business, but very, very small business and even individual insolvency. And the folks at the bank have ultimately decided that that is, you know, has become a major structural problem, uh, not only in the developed world, but in the developing world. And so they convened this uh, a, a special working group of its, you know, insolvency and creditor rights sort of larger group to focus on the question of, well, would it be feasible and helpful if we were to explore in greater depth uh, the kinds of things going on in the world in response to the rising phenomenon of individual insolvency and, and some mechanism for some means of treating that. And so in, I think it was January 2011, the bank convened a conference discussing a variety of topics, including that one, um, and, you know, a couple of other people and, and I on a panel presented a variety of approaches that were going on in the world with respect to consumer insolvency. And I think, you know, a lot of people in the audience were uh, very, very surprised to hear mm-hmm. about all of the activity in uh, the developing world, the developed world, uh, with respect to individual insolvency and searching for ways to, to deal with that. And so relatively shortly after that meeting, 
uh, again, the, you know, the powers that be at the World Bank decided, well, we really need to do something you know, significant here. We need to sort of you know, put a landmark down that says this is kind of what's going on in the world. You know, we, we, we need to know what this is so that we can tell our client countries uh, you know, what, what at least we've observed uh, to, to sort of at least begin the process of putting together guidance uh, for folks uh, who are interested, particularly policymakers, in developing these kinds of effective systems. So the bank asked me. I was extremely honored, as you can imagine, to chair this, uh, this group and to put together the drafting group to put together a document that, as you have said in your introduction, simply makes observations with respect to this is what is going on in the world. You, know, you may well not know that there's this much activity, but you know, the, these are the kinds of trends that are developing in the world of treating insolvency involving not businesses necessarily, but natural people. And not only natural people who are what you might call consumers, pure consumers, but also those who have some sort of business activity uh, to a larger or, or, or smaller degree. So, so that's what we did. Now, in the report, you um, make clear early on that the um, objectives were not to prescribe a, a new regime or a a set of best practices, if you will, for uh, developing uh, nations. And so my question is, um, why not? Why, why was uh, that the, the, the charge? That's a great question, and it really has guided our, our, the entire project for us. And I think there are two big answers. The big answer from, from my perspective is that one of the greatest things that I, as an academic, I think, have gotten from my about decade of research in the area and in working on this project is a, a real appreciation that this probably is a situation where forcing everyone into the same model is probably not the right approach. There probably is not, I have to admit at this stage, a best model or you know, a best practice with respect to the variety of different topics and, and issues that we treat in the report. So. We really did want to be very careful to be sensitive to the notion that various countries are at very different levels of development. They have very, very different cultural sensitivities, very, very different financial systems and interpersonal relationships and, and credit systems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so trying at this stage, at least, to put down you know, a series of best practices would have been, I think, probably mildly dishonest or at the very least trying to ram a round peg into a square hole. So, so we wanted it to be sort of more, more welcoming and all-encompassing, and sort of anyone can be interested in this report, uh, and, and, and anyone you know, can sort of pick and choose from the observations that sort of seem to resonate most with, with them. So, so that was kind of my perspective, but the, the, the real idea for trying to, to stay away from prescription came from the World Bank people, who were obviously much, much more savvy about the notion that if an institution like the World Bank, who has responsibility for allocating funding, for doing you know, reviews of countries, if the World Bank comes out right away and says, well, we're developing these, uh, essentially a new standard to be applied in, in evaluating the you know, personal insolvency systems of countries, that, we were afraid, would have produced a lot of resistance. Uh, resistance from client countries, resistance from creditor countries, resistance from a variety of, of quarters, and so we decided the best way to go, at least for now, and I think, it's, I think now is going to be quite a long time, at least for now, the best approach was simply to say, this is kind of what's going on in the world. These are the four or five different approaches that have been taken. 
you know, this approach seems to have worked relatively well. This approach maybe has produced consequences that were less desirable. So, you know, as a number of the commenters to our report observed, it's relatively clear <laughs> from time to time in the report that, you know, the drafters believe that one or another approach is, is better than another. Mm -hmm. But we've tried not to be at all explicit about that. Uh, again, simply to, you know, to make it possible for different countries with different sensitivities and different backgrounds all to benefit from the report, and again, to avoid, you know, the resistance that invariably would have arisen had the, the bank come out and said, well, we're developing a bunch of new standards to which we're going to expect client countries to, to comply. Right. Uh, I, I, uh, I agree. Reading, um, reading the report, you can uh, definitely uh, get that impression, and I, I, I should... Um, you know, commend you um, at the least. Uh, the report is really a, a very comprehensive uh, document identifying um, many of the, the key criteria that are found um, uh, across uh, different regimes. And of course, there are many differences uh, to be sure, as you pointed out. But did you find some common themes uh, across regimes? Is there, for example, a uh, a common uh, concept uh, surrounding the idea of a fresh start as we as we have in the United States or the idea of equal treatment for like creditors. Did you find any uh, uh, common themes across regimes? There certainly were common themes and I think most of the common themes are relatively high level and sort of loose uh, you know, at, at this stage because you know, even for the developed countries who have been doing this for some time it's still a relatively new idea. And so, you know, the notion that, as you say, you know, equally situated creditors ought to be treated equally certainly unifies, uh, you know, countries. The notion that, uh, you know, for example, debt should be paid, you know, that, that unifies probably the world. You know, the, the notion that anyone could ju should just be able to walk in, fill out a paper, and walk away from all of their debts with no effort whatsoever, you know, I, I, my sense is nowhere in the world does one find support for that notion. You know, but then moving away from the sort of really broad things that, that bind countries together, there certainly are a number of other looser trends, and, and we struggled with a number of them and, and how to describe them. You know, for example, one of my favorites is a number of countries, particularly in Europe, have quite hesitantly entered into this you know, insolvency treatment arena by still trying to leave it to the parties to work something out contractually. And so many, many systems in, for example, Europe and elsewhere require the debtor to negotiate in some sense with creditors to try to work something out uh, informally before uh, resorting to a formal coercive mechanism, uh, you know, in some administrative proceeding or a court proceeding or something. And so, you know, that is, that's a clear trend, mm -hmm. uh, you know, trying to, trying to find something to work at, you know, trying to work it out out of court in some way. Um, and, and, and that's a particular section, I think, where our, you know, non-prescriptive approach was, was really, really, you know, stretched to, to, its, to its limits because all of us on the drafting group knew that this has just been a colossal failure throughout the world. And so, you know, I don't think we pulled a lot of punches in that discussion. Acknowledging that people around the world really want that to happen was one thing. But again, part of our observation process was saying, well, there is this trend here, but the trend has been almost uniformly toward failure and, and, and frustration rather than success. Uh, one other, I think, nice trend to observe, uh, particularly from kind of a U.S. perspective, is the United States still is regarded as a massive outlier in terms of, uh, of a fresh start with 
what's regarded outside the United States as almost no effort. I mean, this notion of a Chapter 7 discharge simply as a result of filling out a series of papers and, you know, and maybe attending a 341 meeting uh, is just regarded as absolutely you know, pernicious and you know, morally bankrupt, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, virtually everywhere else in the world requires at least most debtors, if not all, to, to, to at least pretend they're going into some sort of a payment plan. Uh, though, and, and you know, the period of years and the amount of payment to be made varies you know, dramatically from place to place. Um, but, you know, again, this is another area where, you know, we didn't probably pull a lot of punches in that this payment plan business is very little more than a facade in most places because the folks who seek relief in these systems don't have a lot to be paying. Uh, the administrative expense to support these payment plans very, very often exceeds whatever amount can be produced by the debtor over the term of years. And, you know, it, it, if one can observe kind of a secondary trend, it's, it's sort of moving away from extended payment plans at least toward shortening the time period, if not indeed in some cases toward eliminating payment plans entirely, at least for some subset of debtors. Going to the other extreme, uh, to what extent did you identify parts of the world where the failure to repay a debt is still treated as a criminal matter? Yeah, we didn't deal very much with systems that had no treatment mechanism at all. Right. Our observations focused on the, the existing countries and places where there is at least some effort to actually treat, cure, in a sense, the, the, these problems of insolvency of, of, of individuals. Places like, you know, as is commonly well known in the Middle East, for example, where you know, a personal indebtedness is regarded as still a crime, mm-hmm. or at least is structured as a crime, where you, know, you borrow using a check that everyone knows is not going to be payable, and then if things go bad, the creditor presents the check and you've just committed a crime. Um, we really didn't look too much at those systems because those, they don't have systems for treating indebtedness. You know, th- there may well be cultural antecedents in places like that, um, in Islamic law, for example, for actually treating the indebtedness of individuals. But you know, in the places that hadn't really incorporated that kind of perspective into their modern law, we really didn't pay much attention at all to them. We, we instead focused on the areas where that really we're struggling with, well, we really do want to do something for and with these folks to get them back into uh, what Margaret Howard has called the open credit economy, one of my favorite phrases. You know, and, and I think her perspective you know, is, is absolutely right. We're trying to get people back being active in the open credit economy. How can we do that best? Mm-hmm. Countries who, who don't take that perspective really didn't catch much of our attention. Right. Now, you mentioned the, uh, the U.S. as a bit of an outlier uh, with respect to the kinds of protections afforded uh, individuals uh, attempting to repay debt. Some would, would say uh, the, the U.S.'s lead in, in uh, consumer bankruptcy in that regard. To what extent uh, did you sense that nations are perhaps beginning to follow the U.S. lead more than uh, they might have even a few years ago, pre-crisis? Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you say that, you know, because that, I, we've actually, members of the working group have gotten that question from a number of U.S. folks uh, a lot. And, you know, and it's sort of funny because the best response is one offered by my colleague on the working group, Johanna Niemi. She says, the U.S. influence has been very powerful because everyone wants to avoid what, what we have done here. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like we are in, a, in the legislative history of many of these European laws, for example, they'll say explicitly, we are not pursuing the path of get out of jail free, you know, mm-hmm. that one finds in, you know, the Anglo-American tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, um, so on the one hand, the rhetoric clearly is we are not going to be allowing the deresponsibilization of borrowing and you know moral laxity 
and you know fecklessness like one finds in the United States. You know, you clearly have that rhetoric. Right. On the other hand, I mean, if you actually look at what these countries are doing, there is, I think, a, a relatively clear trend in the direction of accepting the reality that I think our the U.S. system has has accepted for a long time, and that is, these people simply do not have a lot of excess income sloshing around to to really offer creditors a return that's worth, again, the administrative expense that's required to extract it. So, you know, one thing that I've observed in my own work, and we didn't really say too much about this in in the project, is that, you know, the world kind of seems to be converging toward a middle point. You know, after the 2005 amendments, I mean, BAPSIPA really, I think, powerfully moved our system uh, in the direction of Europe. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, Europe has been, as, as, as I just said, sort of gravitating toward us, particularly in places like France. You know, France now has a very, very generous relief system. Um, and, in fact, many French debtors can get, you know, a discharge with no payment plan and no liquidation of assets today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's being used much and more, uh, more and more frequently. So, I mean, there, the, the countries are clearly gravitating towards some center point that's between, you know, somewhere in the middle of the, of the Atlantic. Um, <laughs> And I, I, what I think is the most interesting question is, is, you know, why are we moving there and sort of exactly where is that point? And, and, and could that be a, a sort of place of best practices, at least for the kinds of developing countries that you see in North America and Europe? If you had to identify one U.S. practice uh, common to consumer bankruptcy uh, relief and um, uh, that that is uh, truly outside the mainstream uh, of the world, at least today. Um, what might what might that be? Is there an example or two that that uh, strike you from the uh, study? Mm, that's a tough one. I, you know, the first thing that pops to mind is the extraordinarily long list of non-dischargeable debts. Uh, most countries have, at least in Europe, have a, a very powerful trend in legislation over the past five, ten years of, of reducing or, in some cases, eliminating uh, priorities and non-dischargeable mm-hmm. debts in consumer yeah. cases. And so, so our very long list of these things still, I mean, including these silly things, I mean, I, I think the average bankruptcy expert, if you really read, you know, these sections about non-dischargeable debts, you're like, really? I mean, what, what, whose idea was this? You know, and, and Europeans often do comment to me when, when, when I'm abroad about this, like, why do you need, you know, 25 different <laughs> non-dischargeable debts? And, you know, they often observe that, well, you know, c- can that be explained by the fact that your discharge is so generous and it's so easily accessible that maybe you need this as kind of a counterweight to that easily accessible, generous discharge? And, and I say, you know, there may be something there. I suspect it's more path dependency and just, you know, it just happened to be that way. But so, so I do think that our long list of non-dischargeable debts is is relatively unique. Well, what might another thing be? Our you know our reaffirmation process, I think, is also probably relatively unique. Mm-hmm. I, I have not encountered another country where where first of all reaffirmation of pre-bankruptcy debt is at all common. I, I mean, maybe that happens, and I just have not seen that a discussion of that, any robust discussion of any kind in the literature. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but the amount of attention that's been devoted in in this country over the past say 15 years to reaffirmation practice. Uh, is is absolutely unprecedented anywhere else, uh, to, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, the uh, the other big things really are, you know, I think not outliers at all. I mean, I, I think you know the notion that at least some subset of debtors can go into bankruptcy with very very few valuable assets, relatively few, relatively little available income, and within a relatively short time get you know relief used to be, of course, anathema. 
in Europe and, and and sort of even even mildly distasteful in you know other parts of Europe in England and, and, and elsewhere. But I think again, I mean, as I've sort of said and as our project uh, points out, that really is changing. I mean, you know, the countries that have approached this notion of treating personal insolvency very very hesitantly are really moving in our direction. So you know, the notion of accepting the fact that, that many many debtors will be able to pay nothing over the term of this payment quote payment plan. Uh, you know, the notion that within a relatively limited period of time, people really ought to be free of their debts. I mean, these absolutely re- revolutionary ideas 20 years ago are, you know, not revolutionary at all now. So, so I think, I mean, I, I must say, I think honestly the United States really has played uh, a, an indirect guiding role for the rest of the world in proving that you can have a, a very, very robust economic system with lots and lots of consumer and small business borrowing that involves a very generous and easily accessible bankruptcy relief mechanism, and that doesn't make the wheels grind to a halt. You know, as, of course, creditors will argue every time one of these kinds of systems comes up. We, you know, we were able, in, in conversations with Europeans and, and Asians, to point to the United States several times and say, you know, if you think that the introduction of a generous bankruptcy relief system will make your you know, open credit economy grind to a halt, look at the United States. Right. You know, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, it might to a small degree here and there, but, but as a macro matter, it's just, that's just not the way it works. Right. The failure and forgiveness uh, model mm-hmm. right, uh, that, have, uh, that scholars have been uh, identifying for, uh, for more than a decade. Uh, Jason, what do, you, what do you think the next steps are for, uh, for the working group and, and for the, the project more generally? It's a good question. We had some discussion of that at our meeting uh, in December, and you know, the the very first next steps will be to for the working group, uh, for the drafting group, to get together and look one more time at the comments that were offered by the working group and people who were attending remotely uh, at our at the discussion of our project, and to see if we might revise one last time the document, and then. Uh, once we have a document in final form, which I think will probably take you know very very little time, uh, then it's going to be a matter of kind of dissemination. You know, we really want this document to be a guidepost, you know, a guiding light for policymakers, for people who are thinking about, you know, what should we should we develop a system like this for our consumers? If so, what are the the issues that we need to struggle with, and what are our, our options? What might the the best ways and the not so best ways be? Um, one of the most astounding revelations that was made at the conference was Colombia just adopted the first Latin American uh, personal insolvency discharge law, and they explicitly, you know, said, you know, we we were powerfully guided by the the draft, you know, report on the treatment of insolvency of natural persons of the World Bank. I mean, it was just fabulous that you know our next steps have already begun to be taken by countries like Colombia who are thinking about you know, reviving their economies and really making sure that this safety valve uh, to keep that open credit economy moving is there. So, so I think probably another next step will be something like having conferences, uh, sending people from the bank and maybe academics to, you know, two developing countries who are interested in this uh, to answer questions like, well, how specifically do you think this project and this report, you know, and its observations could apply to our context? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can easily see the bank asking, you know, the members of the drafting group or other academics or, or, or other people to go all over the, per, of the world and, uh, and again, simply to provide education, very much like what ABI does. We, we, we don't want to sort of proselytize you or say you need to do this or that, but we want to educate you as to what the options are, what the consequences have been elsewhere, and what might work for you. So, 
So I think sort of a mission project along the lines of what the World Bank has done in the past would, would probably be a next step. Uh, but I must say, I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what the next steps for this project will be. By the way, how can folks who are interested get access to the report in its current form? Is it on the bank's website, or how can people... It uh, is. Okay. Uh, it is. We, we put it on the website about two months ago, and the easiest way to get there is uh, the World Bank has uh, what's called a Global Insolvency Law Database. Uh, there are a variety of resources for uh, world insolvency law there, and on that page, which is www.worldbank.org forward slash GILD, G-I-L-D, Global Insolvency Law Database, that G-I-L-D site, uh, the, one of the very first, well, the very first story there now uh, is about our report. Uh, and so you can download the report. You can see a statement that the, world, the, working, bank, the working group released on the report. Uh, and again, there are a variety of other uh, sort of interesting World Bank-related uh, resources for global insolvency law on that page. Excellent. Thank you. We will link to that. Uh, that is a great. Uh, that is a great find. Uh, well, thank you, Jason, for explaining some of the key takeaways uh, from the report and the larger project. We look forward to hearing more about the the next steps for this ambitious project, and hope you'll. Join us again for more conversation uh, as you go forward. Would love to. Thanks so much for having me today. Thank you. And we thank our audience uh, for listening. There are more than 120 podcasts on current issues in bankruptcy in our archive for listening or download. See the menu at news.abi.org forward slash podcast. Until next time, this is ABI Executive Director Sam Giordano saying good day.